to Luke chapter 22. There it is. 31 through 34. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. That's the text that the Lord and his providence has given us this morning as we make our way verse by verse through this gospel of Luke. That's where the Lord has us. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. And this morning, the Lord has placed us in this particular text. And so if you're here this morning, which you are, that, that's already answered, um, this is the, the text that the Lord aims you uh, to, uh, for you to learn from this morning. So this is definitely God's providence, and he's going to do a lot through this. So let's begin now through, uh, by reading the text. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, what we're seeing in this powerful portion of Scripture is the Lord's unparalleled preparation for the Apostle Peter. That's what's taking place. So I've entitled the message, Preparation for Peter. Preparation for Peter. The setting of this is the upper room. Those seated with Christ are the 12 disciples. The subject of the Lord's teaching and their discussion has revolved around the Lord's death. And the Lord must now make some preparatory work occur in the life of this future leader, Peter. And this is all to make him into the man that he wanted him to be and into the man that he's going to use mightily for his glory. This powerful, unparalleled preparation for the apostle Peter, the 12 are in the upper room, the subject of the Lord's teaching is his death, and the Lord is now preparing this future leader for what he wants him to be and what he will want him to do. And Luke has recorded it. And so as Luke has recorded it, Jesus has just finished making crystal clear 
that his death will serve the purpose of substitutionary atonement for sinners. He's God's lamb. And as we see coming out of that teaching, there's an an assortment of responses to this sacrifice by Christ. In this section, there's this assortment of responses in response to Christ's words about his substitutionary death. We see that there's the response of Judas. We looked at that last week. There will be the response of the disciples. We looked at that last week. There will be the response of Satan that we see in this section. There's the response of Peter that we see in this section. And there will be in the, the response of the world, which we'll see in a couple weeks. Crisis and opposition is going to abound in response to Christ's sacrifice. But Christ will overcome all of it. He's going to overcome it all. The betrayal of Judas, the pride and the immaturity of the disciples, the opposition of Satan, the severe testing and weaknesses of the Apostle Peter, and the hostility of the world. And so this portion today is his means of overcoming that opposition of Satan and that weakness of Peter by preparing this apostle for what will take place. All of this, as we've seen so much recently in this section, is according to God's sovereign plan and it serves his sovereign purpose And it's under his sovereign power. Nothing is taking him by surprise. He knows the future. And he's preparing the apostles for it. So he's sovereign over all of this. But listen now. The apostle Peter must be prepared. The disciples must be prepared. His men must be molded. And to be made ready. He saved these men. The apostles. That he's with now in the upper room. He's with them in the upper room. Just them and him. That's it. He saved these men. In John chapter 1. Then he called these men to full time ministry. In Matthew chapter 4. They left their jobs. They were to be supplied through the ministry and they were to do nothing at that point but follow Jesus, study his life, study his words in order to be fully trained by him for ministry and sent out. It was a time of training. Then he gave them ministry experience in Matthew chapter 10. By sending them out. Remember this? Two by two. 
and yet he remained close to them to help them answer questions, teach them, give them lessons so that they would experience the success and the hardships of ministry, of gospel ministry, faithful gospel ministry. Remember, he sent them out and he he sent them out to do one thing, preach and teach, but he also gave them the authority to heal and perform miracles. Remember, there's no New Testament canon at that point. And so to prove the truthfulness of their message, he gave them the signs of the apostles, which Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, which are the healing and, and, and miracles. This was a sign of an apostle to prove the truthfulness of, his, of their message. And so he gives, gives them these, this authority and sends them out to preach. And then he will clarify all of this to the disciples once he raises from the dead and as he sends his Holy Spirit, he's going to empower them, commission them, send them out after his resurrection as he ascends into heaven and leaves them. Jesus also intensely taught these men on the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus has demanded more of these men than anyone else. They were the ones challenged by him most deeply. They were the ones who watched him most directly. They were the ones who experienced the most acute discipline most frequently. And they would be made to need him most desperately. But all of this is what came along with making them into the men that he would use most definitively. These would be the men who carried the gospel to the ends of the earth, brought it outside of Jerusalem. He was making them into men with godly character, he was making them into men with clear conviction. Clear conviction. They would have clarity about what they believed. They would have godly character. He was making them into men who wouldn't compromise in the face of the culture. He was making them into men who were competent with the truth. He was making them into men who were committed to him, to the end of their lives, even in the face of death. He was making them into men who had compassion for the lost, who had courage to proclaim his truth and to stand on truth. He was making them into the men who would accomplish great work for his kingdom and who wouldn't cower in the face of opposition. And all of this happened through close, constant care and correction. And so to begin with, you have to know that these men were being prepared. But you also have to know that these men were literally everyday people when they were called. I know that that's the cliche to say, but it's just literally true. They were everyday people with everyday lives 
he didn't pick the most prominent in society who had the most power in themselves. But Jesus would make these men into men who had right understanding of his truth. Their lives matched his example and their ministry would be motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so this has been a discipleship relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Discipleship is what's taking place here in the upper room. Discipleship. And that in here in Luke chapter 22, as they sit in the upper room, Jesus is preparing his leaders for future service for the kingdom. They've got to be prepared. And so as he prepares for death, he's preparing his disciples. He reveals in this portion that he has knowledge of future events. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He has control of future events. Sovereignty is still very much in play here as we've seen in these most recent sections. And now he gives these final instructions for his disciples. This section is alternating between his substitutionary atoning death and themes of discipleship. All of this will be in response to his sacrifice. So he's alternating between his death and their response, his death and preparation. And so his death will trigger all of this and they must be prepared. As he approaches the cross, he is the only one who knows what is ahead. And an assortment of responses and pressures will follow. And so as the leader, Peter singled out. Peter singled out now. And the Lord's going to prepare him. And so in the Lord's preparation of Peter, he speaks of three things. First, permission in verse 31. Second, perseverance in verse 32. And third, a prediction in verses 33 through 34. And this morning, we're going to call this part one of Peter's preparation, because we're only going to cover the first point, permission, through verse 31. As I was preparing for this, the Lord convicted me deeply. We need to just sit in this for a couple of weeks. Even though it's only four verses, I expect to do a, complete this message pretty quickly. It was the exact opposite. And I think the Lord wants, wants us to be changed by this. So let's start with the permission. Verse 31. And what I mean by this is Jesus will allow Satan to severely test Peter's faith. That's what Jesus is going to tell Peter. 
That's how he's going to prepare Peter. Jesus will permit Satan to test Peter's faith. Jesus is telling Peter this. Just like God permitted Satan to test the genuineness of Job's faith, as we see in Job chapters 1 and 2, just as God permitted Satan to test the genuineness of Job's faith, so Peter will be intensely tested. Intensely tested. Verse 31, note it with me. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Verse 31 begins with Jesus turning specifically to Peter. As he's been talking to the disciples, he turns specifically to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon. The Lord is directly addressing Peter. In a moment, we're going to see that Jesus is actually preparing all of the disciples for this teaching, but Peter the foremost, and Peter as the representative of the twelve. The repetition of his name here, Simon, Simon. It indicates seriousness and soberness and somberness of the reality of this situation. Jesus used this same form of, re of repetition, for example, when he was speaking to Martha. Martha, Martha. Or when he, and that's in Luke 10, or when he was speaking about Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13. Indicating that this experience that he's about to tell Peter of will have a severe correcting effect in the apostle's life. And so Jesus uses the name Simon. That's Peter's original name. The Lord gave him the name Peter at his conversion in John chapter 1. And you can turn there now just for a moment. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42 It says the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak followed Jesus and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. So his brother led him to Christ. Peter's did, Andrew. He found him 
He found his brother Simon, and he said to him, we've found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so this is the apostle, and this is the one who he's now calling by his original earthly name. And we know much about this man, Peter. We know a lot about him. There's no questions. We know more about him than any of the other 12. And really, besides the name of Jesus in the four Gospels, his name appears more frequently than all the rest of the names in the Gospels. Peter is spoken to more often. He speaks more often. And the Lord always addresses him as Simon, except for a couple of instances. He's constantly reminding him of his weaknesses and his flesh as he prepares this man. The other two instances where he's not called Simon is in this section, verse 34 in Luke 22 and in Mark 16. You have to understand this. Listen, Simon reminded Peter of his old self. It highlighted his flesh and his weakness. And yet at the same time, Peter, which means rock or stone, would be what the Lord was calling Peter to be. And what he would be, as we will see next week, as we survey a little bit of Acts and what the apostle was able to do. But the Lord was calling him to be Peter. And he so often acted like Simon. In Matthew chapter 16, you can turn there right now. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 18, the Lord says to Peter, well, let's start in verse 16, verse 15. Don't test me, I'll just keep moving up. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many ask the question about what that section particularly means, saying that Jesus spoke to Peter and then spoke of himself as being the rock. That would be hard to, to that would be uh, um, a hard conclusion to come to based on the progression of that conversation. It's pretty clear that Jesus is saying, you are Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Now what he's not saying is some succession of apostleship that takes place. But what he is saying is through the apostles, through Peter as the representative of the apostles, he's gonna build his church. This is gonna be his man. 
These are going to be his men. As we know in Ephesians 2.20, the church or the house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles, right? There was an apostolic era, a time of apostleship where there was, uh, uh, the apostles had the signs of the apostles and they had direct revelation from God and wrote the scriptures. And in Acts chapter two, we know that the early church devoted themselves to the what? Apostles teaching. And so these men would be chosen by Christ. They would receive direct revelation. They would have signs of apostleship that confirmed their teaching. And by the way, this only happened once. You don't put a, a lay a foundation twice. You lay it once. Then you build the house. This was the foundation that would be laid once. The apostles would lay this foundation and the house or the church would be built upon that foundation. And Peter will serve as the leader, as the leader of this. He will be the first among equals. Peter will be. In fact, the list of apostles in Matthew chapter 10, you don't have to turn that now, but in verse two, when it describes this list of apostles, Simon's name is listed first. It says first Simon, who is called Peter. The Greek word there for first doesn't indicate simply the first name on a list. It's the same word that's used in 1 Timothy 1.15 where Paul says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the, the chief of sinners. That's the same word that's used to describe Peter in the list. The chief, the first, the foremost, the representative is the apostle Peter. And every list that's given of the disciples, Peter's name's always what? First, he's the first among equals. They're all equal in their apostleship, but he's first in terms of function. And yet before he would be used in this mighty way, after the Holy Spirit comes and empowers Peter, and he has this incredible ministry, which you can really see beginning in Acts chapter three. I mean, Peter just explodes. He's a man who can't be stopped. He's like a train going full speed ahead. Anything that gets in his way is stopped and is run over by his message of the gospel. And so he would have an incredible ministry, but he sees so much of his old self, his flesh, more than he wants to. And the Lord is going to prepare this man. He's going to sanctify this man into a man that he can use. He's going to receive more testing and more squeezing than any of the rest. And the Lord's got to trust him to be able to lead his people, to feed his flock, to proclaim his gospel to share his message, to stand for his truth, to obey, to act like Christ, to write two letters in the New Testament. And so 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, directly after Jesus' words to Peter about that he will be the one on whom the church is built, directly after that, we see Satan working in Peter's life as he tries to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. And so there we see he's the only disciple who's specifically called Satan. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're gonna build the church. Blessed are you, Barjona, Simon Barjona, for understanding this. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father did. We're gonna, I'm gonna build this church upon your leadership. And just a couple verses later, you're not going to the cross, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. And so his weakness was always front and center, and Jesus would train this man in the most intentional way, in the most intimate way. He would experience the most. He would be taught the most. He would be humbled the most. And he would learn the frequent lessons. And so here in Luke 22, he's preparing this man. And you've got to consider the history of Peter. Think about this. He told the Lord, when the Lord told him to put down the net in Luke chapter 5, we tried all night. He told the Lord when uh, he was touched by someone in the crowd and Jesus asked who touched me. Not that he didn't know. In Luke chapter eight, he turned to the Lord and said, what do you mean, Lord? There's a whole crowd around you. What do you mean who touched you? A bunch of people touched you. That, this is this man, mixed with flesh, weak, outspoken, foot in mouth, yet being used. He spoke up on behalf of the apostles in Luke chapter nine, that he believed Jesus was and is the Christ one of the three in Luke chapter nine, Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus in his glory. And uh, he's the only one, by the way, when he was on the Mount who said, Lord, it's good that we're here. Assuring the Lord that he would know that. And Peter was the one who represented the other two, when it says Peter and the others were there with him, Peter is the name specifically named. He's always the representative, but he was there on the mountain trans transfiguration. He's the one in Luke chapter 12. When Jesus gave the parable, he said, Jesus, is this parable for us, the disciples, or for everyone else? He spoke up. He was the only one to get out of the boat and onto the water. He told Jesus not to wash his feet and then told him to wash his whole body. He cut off the officer's ear. He would cut off the officer's ear in just a little bit. He, he was told of a threefold denial that he would perform. He, uh, he was the only one with John present as Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. After the resurrection, he's the one who popped up and ran, although he was slow. John outran him. And we would see this great recommissioning happen after this great failure at the end of Jesus' time on earth. This was the man that he was gonna use and he would be used. 
and we've seen a lot of his weaknesses in his flesh. He's gonna empower him when he sends his spirit and Jesus ascends. And now Jesus, as he's gonna suffer on the cross, is preparing this man, verse 31 of Luke chapter 22. You can go back there to our text. Verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, next part, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Literally, Satan demanded permission. The word here means to ask with intensity. And so we see that and we know from Scripture that the devil can only do what God permits him to do. God's people will only experience the assault of Satan in the way in which God allows to take place. But Christ here again is displaying his supremacy over all of it. Satan is subject to him. But we see that Satan is going to be involved here. But we see, take note, that Jesus knows everything. Jesus is displaying that he must allow everything. And Jesus will display, as we proceed in this passage, that he has the keeping power and the rule, no matter what happens. And so literally what's being said here is, Satan has obtained you. It's as if it's already happened. Satan has obtained you by asking. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so Jesus has already given permission to Satan to sift Peter like wheat, to have you. You here is interesting because it's plural. And so what Jesus is saying here tells us that though Peter is specifically being prepared and he's going to especially be tested, he's a leader that represents really all of them. They're all going to be testing, tested. But Peter, the foremost. And so what's the testing going to be? Well, it's pretty clear here. As Satan has asked to sift Peter and the rest like wheat. The way in which you harvest wheat is that the wheat and the chaff are violently shaken. And then they're tossed into the air. And as the wind blows, it blows the chaff away and it leaves the grain behind, the real stuff. And so Satan will so turbulently and violently shake the disciples and especially the apostle Peter to see if their faith will remain. That's what's taking place. That's what Peter must be prepared for. And this is gonna begin as soon as they leave the upper room. This will be as a result of Jesus' arrest, as a result of his death. Once he leaves the garden, they're all gonna scatter. We know that Jesus is talking about Peter's saving faith here. 
because of the context here as well. Just before this, in this section, Jesus speaks of Judas's response to his substitutionary death, which will be rejection that won't be repented of and will result in condemnation. Then he speaks of the disciples, their pride and immaturity in response to his teaching and his substitutionary death, but they will last and therefore they will inherit the kingdom. Right after this, which I'll speak about next week, the Lord speaks of Peter's perseverance through his intercession for Peter. You put this all together, it is clear what he's talking about in regards of Peter's testing is the testing of his true salvation, whether he will last or not. It's obvious that Jesus is speaking of the genuineness of Peter's saving faith, whether it's real or not. That's what's going to be tested. That's what's going to be tested. Peter and the others must know this and be prepared for this. They're going to experience doubt and fear. They're going to be shaken with doubt and fear as Jesus is killed. They're going to be tempted and shaken with temptation to walk away from following Jesus. They're going to be tested by the world. They're going to be shaken with fear to stand with Jesus, stand alone when he's taken. They're going to have the threat of evil, earthly authorities. They'll have the fear of man in their face as the masses and the society say one thing about Christ while they know the truth about him. They're going to face temptation to sin. They're going to face despair, the temptation for unbelief, the rejection of family, other worldly priorities that will take first place or could take first place. As the disciples, they will be tested in the genuineness of their faith. And this is what Jesus is preparing Peter for. You're going to be tested, Peter. Satan's going to violently shake your faith to see if it's real. To see if it's real. To see if it lasts. Or if you just came to Christ because of the benefits you thought you could get from him. Or if you'll stick with him as long as it's convenient for your life. Or if you'll have a half-hearted commitment to him rather than a all-consuming love for him. And this is what every disciple of Christ must prepare for. This is what every good discipler must teach their disciples as well. This is the ground level Preparation. 
This is what you must hear if you've decided to follow Christ. And this is what you must teach your disciples as you disciple them after they've made a decision to follow Christ. This is foundational. Okay? You prayed to receive Christ? Great. Your salvation will be truly tested. Let's see how you do when your salvation is tested. Then we'll celebrate your salvation or lack thereof. Or we'll identify it. It'll be proven to be real if it continues. It'll be proven to be real if it lasts. That'll prove whether it's real or not. This is what Satan aimed to prove in Job. That he was only committed to God for what he could get from God. And God initiated that. He told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And so God aimed to prove Job's faith is real. False conversion is a dominant reality in Satan's world. A dominant reality in Satan's world. And it's a dominant reality in the Bible. We have more, more false converts in churches today than those who are truly born again. And if severely tested or tempted, they wouldn't endure. And so as professing disciples, and as we make disciples, we must give and we must understand this most basic expectation of the Christian life. The first thing we must teach disciples to be ready for, and that will prove if their faith is genuine or not. And the first thing you must know, as Jesus even prepares you here, that your faith will be tested and that's when it will be proven if it's real or not. And as Peter's faith will be tested, shaken violently, as we'll see next week, he's gonna strengthen other believers in Christ with that same preparation as he has been refined by fire. The genuineness, the true tested genuineness of his faith as refined by fire, we'll prove it. Turn with me as we close in just a moment to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is Peter after he's made it through writing to other Christians, strengthening them as Jesus will show us next week he commanded him to do. He says, verse eight, hey, Christians, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, just as Jesus told him, Satan's gonna shake you. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your what? Faith. And then in, go back to chapter one, verse seven in Peter's letter here. Chapter one, verse seven. Peter's learned this lesson. He said, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
This is what he hopes for all believers when testing comes may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That it would be real. That it would make it through testing. And so the first principle of the Lord's preparation in the Apostle Peter's life is that the genuineness of his salvation is going to be tested. Let's see if you last. Let's see if you keep following me. Let's see if you obey my words and stay close to me and grow in maturity and remain committed to me. And so you're gonna wanna make sure you're here next time for part two because Jesus is gonna continue this preparation in the Apostle Peter's life and he's gonna prepare us as well as disciples of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come and we, we know, Lord, as you prepare us a people to be used by you, to be faithful to you, to be the people you call us to be as leaders in the church, as servants of you, as representatives of you in the community, as those who have claimed to trust in you by faith that this testing will come into our lives and we must be prepared that Satan aims to test the genuineness of our salvation. And may we be people who don't fall away. May we be the people who don't turn back to the world. These temptations were gonna come in all various ways, shapes and forms. It will be subtle. The world will tempt us with its money and with its prestige and with its power and with its offers of joy and pleasure. We'll face opposition, threats of evil earthly rulers. We'll experience failures. And yet as Satan violently shakes our faith, may it prove to be real. God, I pray that as we disciple others and invest in others, that we would prepare them with this same preparation so that they would last and prove to be genuine disciples as well. Change us with this, Lord, as we continue to learn from this preparation for the Apostle Peter through the Lord Jesus. And may we be prepared as your disciples as well. In Jesus' name, amen.